All right, hello everyone. I'm Rachel Zabonachanko, Editor-in-Chief of Club Solutions Magazine, and welcome to our virtual thought leadership series. First, I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor, MX Metrics, for sponsoring today's session. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you for being here for this very important topic. We have a really awesome panel today for today's session, I'm here to talk to us about the importance of political advocacy. And I'll go ahead and let each of them introduce themselves, starting with Mary Kay. Hi everyone, my name is Mary Kay Marzoni. I am the Director of Marketing and Public Relations for Fitness Formula Clubs, FFC in Chicago, Illinois. I'm very happy to be here with everybody today. Thank you. Awesome, thanks Mary Kay. All right, Kevin. I'm, I'm Kevin McHugh. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for the Atlantic Clubs in New Jersey. And uh, once again, I'm happy to be here too. <laughs> Perfect, all right, Greta. Hi, I'm Greta Wagner, the Executive Director of Chelsea Pierce, Connecticut, um, and also on the Board of Directors of URSA. Awesome. All right, last but not least, Chris. Hi, Chris Crater, CEO of ACAC Fitness Wellness Centers um, in the Mid-Atlantic States, uh, also on the Board of, of URSA, and uh, really excited to be talking about advocacy with everyone today. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. So yeah, really the goal of today's conversation will be to just talk about the importance of political advocacy at all levels, so whether it's locally, at the state level, nationally, and how exactly you can get involved as a club operator. But to start, I'm going to ask um, Kevin or Chris, either one, to go ahead and just share their, their week in Washington, D.C. as a part of the National Health and Fitness Alliance. So yeah, just talk a little bit about why you guys were there and what you were able to accomplish. Kevin, would you like to start? Sure. Um, well, uh, once again, I'm proud. One of the things is um, I was invited to be part of the Alliance uh, for the National Health and Fitness Alliance. And, and really what the goal is, is not to have multiple voices in the industry. Uh, it's to have one voice. The problem is that what we learned through the pandemic is we had too many people wasting too much time talking to too many people that weren't getting anything done. And so from one of the learnings was we, we had to figure out a way to align the industry and enroll all different groups. Like I'm on the board of the Medical Fitness Association. They don't need to have a separate voice. Versa doesn't need to have a separate voice. The YMCA doesn't need to have a separate voice. So the NHFA is all about trying to bring all the industry together to have one message, one, act, one action step so that we can all be in it together. Because when the pandemic hit, Everybody was the same. It didn't matter if you were for profit, not for profit, medical fitness, commercial, you all were, we were all closed down and we all reopened at the same time. And so I think the lesson is we don't need to have go to our governor's offices and have 12 different people talking to the governor and governor finally saying like he did in New Jersey, will you guys stop bothering me and have one voice? And in New Jersey, he took our voice, uh, which is the New Jersey Fitness Alliance, and we became the voice for all of New Jersey. So we were the only ones he dealt with. Well, that was a learning for the country too, because that's what the NHFA will become as we continue to develop it. And yeah. that, that's, what, that's what we were in Washington trying to start the foundation there. So yeah, else, Chris? Awesome. Yeah, I mean, my two cents are, I think um, <clears throat> with Liz Clark being hired as a new CEO of URSA and her extensive advocacy background, um, I think it points to a new direction for the trade association. Um, which is really becoming a more advocacy-focused group. I think that's something that we all recognize over the last 18 months that um, we really need to step up our game there. Um, and it's not something that is a short-term play. It's something that has to be done uh, with engagement over a long period of time. So I think this was, as Kevin said, kind of a, a first start with this, first time that this group had been together. Uh, and it was great to, uh, 
to kind of kick this off and what is a pretty, pretty robust agenda and a pretty good, um, pretty good way of, of launching this new initiative. So it was, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And Greta, I know that you were on the committee to choose um, Liz Clark as CEO. Can you maybe share a little bit about why um, you guys felt like that was a great appointment with her history and background in Washington, D.C.? Yeah. I mean, when we, I was the chair of the committee and Chris was also on that committee. And one of our uh, initiatives and the biggest thing that we were looking for as far as skill set, we knew advocacy had to be a primary focus. Um, for URSA, at least nationally, um, while we're still keeping our international focus. But advocacy was big and, you know, we all, it was an eye-opener for us because we didn't have that unified voice. We didn't have a seat at the table. They didn't even acknowledge us. And when they did, it was negative, right? When we first started the pandemic, we had a lot of negative media out there, nothing positive, um, which, which hurt us all tremendously. So, um, when we were looking for uh, what is this primary role and function and what kind of leader do we need to get us into this next phase of URSA and then that we developed the NHFA from um, and Chris also chair, used to chair the uh, policy committee, public policy committee that I'm on as well and that's always been a topic, right? How do we get deeper involved in the advocacy front. So having Liz Clark come in when we first interviewed her and, and then we finally met her in DC, we knew that she was the connector. We knew that she knew what she was talking about. She made candy essential, right? Um, and so candy can be essential, but fitness can't be. So we knew that we had a winner when uh, all of us, I think everybody on the committee and then everybody on the full board knew that she was the right person at the right time. So we're, yeah. we're thrilled and the future is is uh, great and strong with her at the head. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, you know, each of you have obviously been extremely involved in political advocacy for the industry as a whole um, and at the state and local levels. What have been the biggest le learning lessons for you guys over the last year in terms of I mean, yeah, just biggest learning lessons in general. Mary Kay, let's start with you. Sure, sure. I think the biggest we were talking before we started is I think the biggest learning lesson is that political advocacy on the on the local and state level is just good business. Is just to start. There's no wrong time to to start. And I think when the pandemic hit, we realized oh boy, those relationships, it's difficult to go backwards and try to scramble and get that relationship um, after the fact when you really need it. So I think what we learned is to, um, to really invite local officials to club events, right? Invite local officials to tour your clubs, let them work out at your clubs, right? Because you never know when you're gonna need them. And um, Representative Mike Quigley, who's from the 5th District here in Illinois, um, he's uh, long been a, um, a, a member of FFC and uh, here in Chicago and ended up being the co-sponsor of the bill that kicked everything off last fall and then rewrote it in February. So, um, you know, that was a that was a real long term play. Right. Like who knew that that's that that's how that relationship would would pay off. So. Um, I think what you learn is that those relationships can, um, you never know when you're going to need them, but they're always really good to have. Yeah. Kevin, what have been the biggest learning lessons for you? 
that that um, being successful at the federal level depends upon being successful at the state level, because you can't get co-sponsors in this in the Congress if you don't know your congressman. So most of us didn't know our congressman as well as we should have. Uh, what one of the learnings that we had was that um, in New Jersey uh, we decided that we were going to divide up the twelve congressmen and give it to different leaders in the, in the state of New Jersey. So we wound up having like seven people that, that were strong uh, advocates, you know, strong people in advocacy. Um, and they were able to get those congressmen and then we split up the balance and we were able to get 11 out of 12 congressmen and two senators to sign on to the bill. And I think it proved that these are very easy people to deal with. You're not dealing with, you know, they're, I think we think sometimes a congressman or a senator is more, more um, un unapproachable than they are. They're not. You call up a chief of staff in a congressional office, they're going to get back to you. They don't care if what size business you have, they're going to get back to you. And one of the things we learned is that once we were able to get one or two uh, in the state, and you can say, we have three people co-sign, then the fourth person was easier and the fifth person was easier. So. Um, I, I think I learned that it was very, very possible to, with a, you don't have to have 200 people uh, to be really uh, doing all the work in the state, but maybe 40 people. And then you could cover every single district that, that's in the state. So next time a tax, a local tax bill comes up, we know the 40 senators in the state of New Jersey. We know the 80 assembly people in the state of New Jersey, and we're gonna be actively trying to get them on our side. Last time the tax bill came here, we didn't have that. And I think we learned that we, we really, going back to Mary Kay's point is, it's good business. It's, if, some, if, if we have a club owner that's not interested in the Gyms Act and what that means for the industry and other gyms, then I don't, I'm not gonna call it selfish, but it's bad business because this is something that can help their business, our business, and it's something that is universal. It's not Democrat or Republican. It's, it's the Gyms Act saves the fitness industry. It's not political. So I yeah. think that's really what I came out to. Yeah, you were mentioning too, a big takeaway for you was just not being afraid to approach um, congressmen maybe who don't align with your own personal political views because you, you just never really know who's going to be on board for what you're trying to push, right? Yeah, a co-sponsor is a co-sponsor. So when they, when they go to vote on a bill, they don't ask the people when they go to final vote, are you a Democrat or Republican? They say, do you, do you, do you, are you a co-sponsor or not a co-sponsor? And that allows us to get into other bills. So I, I think what we're, we've learned a, a tremendous amount in the last 15 months. And I think the last thing I'll just end with this, I think if people think that you have to have a lot of money to be successful in advocacy, and that's all you need, I think they're wrong. I think if they think you just need to have grassroots, I also think they're wrong. If you can get grassroots with a lot of advocacy dollars, then you got that's what the industry needs, and that's really what we were, you know, all working for. But it's it's not it's not a one up. It's it's the whole industry has to get behind this. Yeah, Chris, what have been your biggest learning lessons? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's really akin to what 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 some of the others have said here. I think it's really starting small and understanding that anybody can send an email, and these people work for you. You know, they don't they don't work for anybody else. You're the constituent. And there's nothing more powerful than a constituent voice. So every time that we have a call with a lobbyist, um, it's, okay, hey, who, which constituent is in that district who can be on this phone call to advocate for their position? 
you know, the universal kind of truth is that whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're pro-jobs. Every single politician is pro-jobs. And the fact is that as an industry, we've lost one and a half million jobs since the pandemic started. And that resonates. I think there's a general understanding now after 18 months of knocking on the door that, that wait a minute, we were actually pretty, pretty, pretty hammered by this, uh, by the pandemic and didn't get the relief that other, other industries did. So, you know, for anyone who is thinking, oh, I can't do this or this is too hard, honestly, just start with an email and all the emails are online. All the emails are available. It's public information. So I think starting somewhere is great. The other thing I would mention um, is there's something called the gymsact.com that you can go to if you want to just get started in grassroots type efforts. That's really easy and accessible. Um, and I think it's just something that everybody can just go do to start sending uh, letters to their congressional leaders, reminding them of their support for, for what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And we will include a link to that in the show notes recap. So Thank you. for anyone who's interested. Yeah. All right, Greta, what have been your biggest learning lessons? Well, and if I can just uh, tack on to what Chris said, I think that the Gym Act, the Gyms Act is very important, but there's other legislation that's going to be coming down the pipeline, right? So you need to know your local government officials. You need to build those relationships now um, for the future, right? Because in a crisis, this is one of the biggest things I learned, you know, the more people you knew and they understood what your business was, you had a seat at the table. So when I knew our local government very well and I knew the governor very well, and when COVID hit and they started to say, all right, we're gonna try and open Connecticut three months later, we were one of the first states to open back up. Um, it, we actually had a seat at that table. We helped develop those sector rules. We helped develop what those guidelines were going to be. And we would have never gotten there had we not known the you know, Department of Economic Development and the officials in the mayor's office and the same in the governor's office. So you know, start to develop those relationships now because people don't really wanna hear you or spend the time with you in a crisis. They, you, they, you can't educate them on who you are and what your mission is and what, you, you know, what your beliefs are and, and that you can add to the equation and the solve. So you know, do it now and talk to as many people as you possibly can so they know your business and they know you have those voters because really politicians, it is about the money, the votes and the media right? That's what they listen to. Um, and, and so right out of the gate, we contacted Channel 12 News, we contacted the media, and we started to tell our story and the importance of what we bring to our membership base and how big that membership base is. And they start listening a little faster. So... Yeah, yeah, the importance of this topic is really not about necessarily having these relationships to get through this particular crisis, which it is important, but also preparing for any future crises or situations that may arise, right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, I wanted to, you know, hear some real world examples of how these relationships have potentially helped your individual clubs or your state. Greta, you just shared one. Uh, Mary Kay, can you speak a little bit to um, Gail Landers and his relationship with Mike Quigley and how that, you know, was beneficial in the formation of the Gems Act? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, and even in the state, even in the state itself, Mike's um, LA, you know, is uh, Kevin always refers to the chief of staff. There's also legislative assistants who are 
you know, much lower on the totem pole than the chief of staff, and they are probably the most accessible. Um, and then you go to legislative director, and then you can get to the to, to the chief of staff. And a lot of them have local chiefs of staff, and then they have DC chiefs of staff. So there's a lot. Um, but Mike Quigley's group was just fantastic, and um, you know, gave us a list of all the other LAs in um, in Illinois, right? And so it was just a great it was just a great push through uh, for that. Um, but the other thing that I would say is that the other part of it is not only relationships with other politicians. I think the, the biggest thing for people and a hurdle that people need to get past with the state alliance is you got to get comfortable with your competition, right? Like a lot of people, you know, I think pre, <laughs> pre-pandemic, it was like, oh, the, the, the big, the orange theories and the planet fitnesses and, you know, but they, they're, they're big, you know, there's a planet fitness in probably every district <laughs> almost in this entire country, right? And so they've got, they've got some cachet behind them, right? So use them to your advantage. And so that's one of the things that got Illinois to 16 of the 18 congressional co-sponsors for the Gyms Act was using, you know, Orange Theory lobbyists, right? Like just, you know, we're, yes, we're, we're competitors in business, but we're aligned when it comes to advocacy and the voice of the industry. So, you know, it's, it's okay, right? Like your competitors are, are going to be on your state alliance and, and that's okay. Cause somebody might know someone who can really, who can really help. And, um, you know, high tide, high tide floats all boats. Right. So, um, I think, I think that's another big, uh, learning in all of this. Yeah, definitely. Kevin, anything you'd add? Yeah, I think Mary Kay hit on it. Um, we got to know our competition. They got to know us and it was a completely different conversation today than it was two years ago. Um, we all know that we have to coexist and we all, we actually became a little bit more respectful of each other. You know, we have different models. Uh, some people won't want a low price. Some people want a premium. Doesn't mean that they're wrong or we're right. It just means that we have different models. And, and we got a lot of support uh, from uh, competitors in our areas here. So I, I think that was a great point. And I, I also think that um, some of the things that you do get that's a benefit is uh, when we were opening up and going back to you know what Greta said, um, we actually got a call the governor said to us that we were not going to open up gyms until we got to a vaccination uh, uh, ratio. I believe it was 65%. He said, once we get to 65%, I'm going to tell you, we're going to open up gyms. He, but the thing was, we had a, he wanted our support to get people to 65%. So he wanted industries to work with the 65%. And once we got to 65% in June, we opened. But then they called us up and said, what, what are the guidelines that you feel are too onerous, honest to open up with. And so we, we got, he, they gave us 10, we got seven to be eliminated. They kept three like locker rooms couldn't open up immediately. Hot tubs couldn't open up immediately. But there was a lot of other things that they could have thrown at us. But since we had a relationship with them and we were working as partners, uh, they listened to us. So I don't, I don't, that wouldn't have happened prior to COVID. Um, I don't think they would have, we would have even known them. So I do think that we're in a position to grow from this and we're just, we're just infants in this. You know, we could be really good at this in the next couple of years if we stay with it. And it's not just about the Gyms Act, as Greta said. There's a lot of state issues that we have to resolve, and there's going to be federal things that we're going to be looking for. And so this is just the start, and we shouldn't be looking at this as, 
that we should stop the coalitions and the alliances once we get past COVID, because that's that was the learning that we have to be really good at this, you know, in part of our role. Yeah, Chris, anything you'd add? No, I think they did really well. I think one thing I would just encourage everyone to do is is figure out who you know. We actually found today that, you know, uh, on a on a call that there's a club owner who whose mom used to be the school teacher for a senator. Like there's all sorts of, and they have his phone number, right? So there's all sorts of weird little relationships that exist. And sometimes just pulling on that string leads to others. You know, uh, Mary Kay referenced it with Congressman Quigley, that that relationship blossomed into relationships with many more. So don't be afraid to maximize the value of a connection on the personal side, and hopefully then have that lead to greater conversations with more people and building that network. Because quite frankly, that's how a lot of this work is done with trusted friends and people that, that are already known. Um, to the political leaders or perhaps already known to the policymakers. Yeah. You know, Chris, you bring up a great point there. I'll just touch, I'm sorry to interrupt there, but in New Jersey, there was this, there's this woman that, that runs a Gold's Gym and she has, uh, her last name is, I'll, I'll just say it's Sarah Guzman. And she was helping us on the Alliance. Well, her dad was Kevin Slavin, but we didn't know her dad was Kevin Slavin. And Kevin Slavin is the uh, president and CEO of uh, uh, hospitals in Patterson, New Jersey and that, that whole area. Well, he knew two of the, he knew very well two of the people on the House of Representatives. If we didn't talk to the daughter and the daughter didn't tell us that her dad was the president of the hospital, we never would have had the connections that we had. So it could be a school teacher, it could be whatever. You, there are so many antennas out there if we just look for them. Yeah. Yeah, Kevin, do you want to speak a little bit to the significance of the number 13? Yeah, I, when, we were, when we were talking about advocacy, if everybody were to just know the 13 people in their marketplace, and that, that 13 people in their marketplace is their, is their um, mayor, it's the county executive, it's their, their house of representative, because only one house of representative person is in, in each person's area. It's their state senator, it's their, their two assembly people, uh, is, and then it's their two US senators, and if you take a look at that, that adds up, and, and also your governor and the chief, and when you, and I'm adding to this, but the chief of staff of the state senator, the chief of staff of the um, House of Representatives, if you just know those people, 13 people, uh, you, we can be, uh, and we have, if, if we have 40 people in New Jersey that knew 13 people, uh, we would really be a powerhouse. And we can do a lot better than 40 people knowing 13 people. Um, but if we did, we would be a we would be a force bigger than be bigger than a lot of other industries if we just did that because we have a lot of club owners that can do it. There's more than forty club owners in the state of New Jersey that are powerful enough to be able to do this. Yeah, it's a really great point, and it really is. If I can interrupt, yeah. it really is an education process, right? Because think about our industry. We're always saying that we have only you know twenty twenty five percent of the market, right? We're always looking for that elusive 80%. It's amazing how many of those 13 people, you think about it, a lot of them don't know what we do. A lot of them don't know the importance of it. We have to educate people on our business. And, you know, once you develop these relationships, well, they're going to turn over, right? I'm now best friends with half of the mayor's office, but the mayor's office is turning over <laughs> and there's going to be a new administration administration in that office and you got to start the process again and it really is about educating them so they understand the importance of it because half of them 
aren't members of our clubs. Half of them don't go, don't, aren't active. So we really need to make it a priority to show them the importance of it and then then buy into that as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah I think you definitely, the, go ahead. Oh, go ahead, Mary Oh, Kay. sorry, sorry. Well, You're one good. of the things that I was gonna say was it, uh, part of this advocacy and, and getting your, uh, your house uh, of representatives uh, bought in was really going into each district and finding really how many fitness industries mm -hmm. are in each district. And that was, um, that's an exercise that I did for the entire state of Illinois. I helped, we helped Michigan do it. <laughs> Greta smiled because, <laughs> because we helped Connecticut do it. But when you can show a, <laughs> an official, how many businesses are in their district, it means exactly what we were talking about earlier, votes and money and media and they pay attention. And that's one of the things that, that fitness really has going for it is that over the last 10 or 15 years, the industry has really exploded. And so in that way, the sad part is so many businesses have closed, but beforehand there were a lot of businesses there and that's a really mm -hmm. salient point to bring to the table. Definitely. Yeah, well, we talked a little bit about the formation and benefits of state fitness alliances. Um, but I'm curious for people who might be considering starting one, what advice would you give them? Greta, let's start with you. <laughs> I was going to say, ma be married to an attorney. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's quite the process. Um, it's an undertaking. Like you say, oh, there's no state alliance in Connecticut. When we were going through and we were talking about all as these state alliances were forming, um, I'm like, I can't believe somebody hasn't started this in Connecticut. And then I kept waiting a little bit to see if somebody would actually do something. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'm, I'm it, tag, I'm it. Um, but it is, it's a drain on resources and it's a heavy lift. Uh, so not to scare people, I want pe we want people to get involved. And certainly if there's anybody who's listening right now from Connecticut, we need you. Uh, because it's for, for Connecticut, uh, it's very few people doing a lot of the lifting. Um, and you're trying to build back a business, right? We're all, we all have full-time jobs. <laughs> um, so, but I do think that what was helpful for me was we use the resources of URSA. There's a, a lot of resources that URSA has online. Mary Kay was just mentioning that she downloaded a, a bunch of material that I guess we'll send out. You'll send yep. out, uh, Rachel. Yeah, um, share it. But so, so it was getting on the URSA website and obviously talking to the other alliances. That's how I started. Um, you know, you have to, I decided I wanted to do it right. And I wanted to be a 501c6 um, and had to go through the, all that process. We needed a lobbyist. Um, you don't need all of these people, but it helps. So we did retain a lobbyist uh, who's been tremendous and has helped um, not on the federal level with the Gyms Act, so to speak, but making connections for me. Um, but a lot of legislation that's already started to come in that we've put a stop to um, that would hurt our recovery. Um, so we did that and kind of became educated from that lobbyist a little bit more because like every, there's many people who have no interest in politics. I remember when I started on the board, I asked Chris, I'm like, I really am 
somewhat interested in public policy. I'd like to be on this committee, <laughs> but I know nothing and I will not be able to contribute <laughs> for a while at least. So I'm looking for a free education, please. Uh, so he embraced it. He'll take anybody, I guess. Um, oh, so, so, but, but that's really, I had that education and then I'm like, all right, well, we need a PR person as well. Now I have resources like all of us do with our clubs and we use those resources from my executive assistant to my public relations person to my you know, controller who is donating their time um, and then finding members, you know, knowing to Mary Kay's point, knowing all of your districts and where are those clubs. And a lot of them, it's sad to say, we had 700, now we have like 400. So, um, but getting some of the bigger players in Connecticut to join the Alliance and to lend support wherever they could. Um, but it is, it's a hefty lift. So be prepared and try and make a lot of friends and get more people involved. You need a lot more people than you think you do. Uh, yes, if we had the 40 people knowing 13 people, but um, we don't, you know, we have four people doing, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So try and get people involved with their talents and where they can, you know, spend a little time that they have expertise in uh, and to get a lot of return, hopefully. So we're, yeah. we struggle every day. You know, I've met with our uh, senators um, and, you know, have gotten a lot of pushback. I find that, you know, they are challenged with understanding why the GINS Act is needed uh, and, you know, working with the chief of staffs and trying to educate them and trying to get, they want to talk to as many clubs as possible. They don't want to just talk to the big players. They want to talk to the mom and pop shops too. And that's a struggle because those people don't always want to get on the horn and talk to people. Um, so try and just, if you have a state alliance, um, give them a call, send them an email and join. That would be, you know, my suggestion because there'll be a resource for you. Ursa is supporting all of the state alliances. The NHFA is supporting all the state alliances. There's a lot of information and expertise to be had. Probably everybody on this panel is now an expert, you know, a year later. Um, so use the resources that are available and we've become a very friendly, we've always been a very open, transparent and friendly industry. I can call anybody and, you know, competitor or not, and they'll talk to me and we, you know, uh, try and solve problems together. But I think even more so now, 18 months later, we survive together and we're, you know, we'll thrive together. So it's, it really is, I hate to sound corny, but it's, you know, united we stand and divided we fall. Uh, I think everybody has to live by that mantra right now. Um, yeah. So join your state alliance. Yeah. The other thing, the other thing that I would add to all of that is one thing that we really had success with in Illinois, and this is not so much on the federal level with the Gyms Act, was becoming aligned with like-minded associations, mm -hmm. right? So we got involved with the restaurant association and um, uh, no one was married to a lawyer here, right? So we ended up using, <laughs> we ended up using the restaurant association council. And that really helped um, really give us a seat at the table, if you will, both uh, in the city of Chicago and it, with the state, because everybody was in the same boat, right? It was just like your competition, like everybody's closed. Everybody's trying to figure out 
how to how to open. So it was a it was a it was an interesting um, relationship that's um, that stayed. So that's something else. Like there's there's other industries that have longer tenured associations um, that can help locally, right? It might be different in every state and city, but that is something that I would absolutely recommend doing. Yeah. Chris, anything you'd add on state alliances? Yeah, um, you know, we uh, we never had one here in, in, in my home state of Virginia, but I was able to join some others. So I think my, I would echo what Greta's saying, is just be willing to join and participate and help. Um, you know, so far, yeah, there's going to be a few clubs that do the heavy lifting like, like Kevin has done and certainly Fitness Formula and Greta in Connecticut. Like, but it doesn't mean that you have to be that leader. I think just getting participation and staying consistent with that over time is really important because now we're in a situation that, you know, as clubs begin, you know, kind of the long, slow climb back to normal in most of the country, I think our focus, you know, can kind of move towards other things. And so the degree to which you can, you can support the state alliances and make them, um, you know, active, not just when there's a crisis, but also maintaining a sense of uh, advocacy and effort, uh, even if COVID is somewhat in the rearview mirror or, or waning in certain parts of the country, I think that's really important because as we've learned before, like if we take our foot off the gas pedal and aren't involved, we're going to be back in, back in the same boat as to where we started uh, 18 months ago. Yeah. Kevin, anything you'd add on this topic? Uh, I mean, they, they, they take on all the uh, different, Greta has uh, one type of alliance. We have a different type of alliance, New Jersey. Uh, there's a different one in Chicago. Um, and Ursa pretty much lets everybody know what, what the type of structure is in their state already. So uh, if they're interested in it, Pam O'Donnell has been a great resource. Um, and we get calls. Uh, I can't say they're as many as they used to be, but Pam would send over maybe 10 people you know, a month over to us and that were interested in finding out about the Alliance. And uh, you, you take everybody, everybody can contribute. Like you said, everybody, we don't have to have the same model. We just have to have the same uh, agenda that is to get support from our congressmen and our uh, local and uh, you know federal people. So um, it's fun. I mean, it, it can be a lot of fun. It's a challenge, and you, you sometimes sit back and say, "Why am I doing all this work?" And then a congressman call his office calls up and says, "We're co-sponsoring it." And you just like you felt like you just won a gigantic battle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we were talking a little bit before the call about, you know, how this isn't a, a very important topic, but there is a lot of hesitancy on people to get involved. I think people are maybe scared to get involved or don't know where to start. Can each of you maybe speak to that and, um, you know, why you would encourage people to at least try to get involved? Greta, let's start with you. Um, you know, listen, politics, especially over the past five years, is exhausting, right? Um, so... I can understand why people don't want to get involved, but I think it does go down to, you know, boils down to it's good business. The more relationships you have, the more people, you know, the more things you can get done. Right. So it is, you know, I just, it makes sense. Half the people who are probably club operators and owners right now, like I think Mary Kay mentioned this, you know, their representative was a member of their club. I'm sure within our membership base, if you look, there's probably some sort of local government official of some sort who's a member of your facility, right? You got to seek it out. So I do think that, you know, it's good business and you just, we're in the business of making relationships and helping people. And sometimes you have to ask for help too. And it's easier to ask for help from a friend than it is from a stranger. 
So that's why I think it's important for people to get active and do it. Um, Or you're going to have a lot, it's a lot more energy um, and with little result uh, if you don't know the people you need to know. Yeah. Um, What are your, your all thoughts on galvanizing members around a particular cause? Chris, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, I think it's, it, it, it can be tricky. You know, obviously there are, um, a lot of us are, are reticent to, to, to email uh, things to our members and trying to get them engaged in things uh, that are outside the four walls of the gym. Um, because certainly it's one of those things that uh, we, we, we do value their, their participation with us and don't want to upset them. But I think, you know, we've seen as our members are pretty responsive. I mean, when they know that they love our, they love our clubs and they want to be a part of it, yeah, most of them have acted uh, favorably uh, towards the message we've put out there in support of the, the advocacy work that URSA is doing. And many of them have sent emails to our local congressional leaders, encouraging them to sign on to legislation supporting the industry. So yeah, it doesn't have to be over the top. It doesn't have to be crazy. But I think you know, most, of our, most of our members are at our clubs because they like us, um, because they want to be a member there. And they're choosing to spend their time and their money with us. So yes, they don't want to see us go away and they love the people who work there. So I think that they've been very receptive to it. And I know that it's something that most health club owners are probably afraid of doing. Um, and that's, and rightfully so, we don't want to do it too often. But what we found is, especially during this last, um, during the COVID you know, pandemic, that it has not been something that uh, our members have been offended at all, uh, offended by in the least. I think they've been really supportive of our club uh, as we've asked them to participate. Yeah. Although I think if I can just tag on to that, um, I had when we did we did reach out to our membership base early on for support, and we did get a lot of comments back saying, "Well, I'm sure you got a huge PPP, you know, loan, or you've gotten so much probably from the government already. Why do you need this?" And they don't realize that we weren't entitled to anything, but at all. <laughs> and it's not so much even if you're a club that wouldn't benefit from any of this or can't benefit because of your structure. Um, We are interested in supporting the whole industry. So I would tell members, this is not just about Chelsea peers because we haven't received a dime (laughs) uh, at all. This is about our industry as a whole and the club that is a, you know, mom and pop shop or a smaller facility who really needs additional help. So we, we did get some pushback from our membership base and it is very challenging to make that ask when you're also asking for a lot of other things. Um, but you just have to have your front line or whoever's speaking to them be educated on how to respond uh, and, and to those questions that sometimes can be challenging. Yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would, I would also say less is more, right? Like one of the things that we tried to do was create like a six paragraph email and try to guess Greta, like what you were saying, like, what if they ask about PPP? What if they ask about this? What if they ask about that? And then we happened to get an email from a, um, from a club out in Arizona. And it was like one line, like tell Congress to support gyms, QR code. I'm like, oh yeah, why don't we just, why don't we just do it that way? And truly mm-hmm. like, that was like, <laughs> it was very well received. I'm like, I, people just, People want to support their, they belong to a club, to a gym, right? To a fitness center, right? They want support for it, right? So it doesn't, I think we try to overcomplicate it and get in people's heads and try to figure it out. Like, no, they 
pay to belong, they, you know, they, they want to support it. So we figured out that less is well, Arizona figured it out. And then we followed <laughs> that, that sometimes less is more, you know, in this, in this situation. Yeah. That's a great point. Kevin, anything you'd add? Yeah, we actually didn't go in that direction uh, in New Jersey. Uh, and part of the reason we didn't go into it is we, we were fortunate to have most of our people co-sponsor early, early on. And so uh, we had people like Jack Cusp and Kevin um, and Leslie and Mike. One great story is Mike Epstein lost his club and he still got his state uh, congressman, his, his, his uh, US congressman to co-sponsor the bill. So although he had lost his gold's gym uh, because of the pandemic, he still stayed on the alliance and he was still able to get it. So we, we were fortunate to get with about six people uh, and a lot of other help from you know, ancillary others, but um, we were pretty much had our numbers in. So we didn't go after, our members didn't get involved with uh, trying to get co-sponsorships. Yeah, okay. Well, let's uh, do an update on the GEMS Act and just talk about the latest um, number of senators who've signed on um, and where, you know, what's going on with the bill. Mary Kay, I know that you're in the loop on that, if you could share. Sure, sure. And I think one of the things, if no one has seen it, that URSA has an amazing dashboard that keeps it very up to date. I uh, looked at it, of course, before, <laughs> before we got on this call, we're at 155 um, House of Representative co-sponsors, and there's 25 in the Senate. So 170 total members of Congress who are supporting us at this point. And I think, I think the biggest, um, the biggest push is to just keep adding, adding on, you know, I, I don't, when you get into, um, and Chris, I'm sure can talk to this way better than I can, but when you get into the, uh, the creation of bills and legislation, you know, will the GEMS Act actually pass as a standalone piece of legislation? Probably not, right? But the more co-sponsors and, um, and attention we can bring to it, the more and more likelihood it will, could be included in other large pieces of legislation. So um, I think that's the biggest thing. And if you go to that dashboard, there's the big one click campaign, there's different ways to get involved. And so from that link, you know, you can see all the different ways that you can, that you can help out with it. So we've done uh, an amazing job at this point, but you know, we've got to keep, got to keep pushing until we get across the finish line. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, can you speak a little bit more to that as well? And I think you said that something had been delayed, which might actually be a good thing for the industry. Yeah, so there's a lot of things happening that help health clubs. One of them that's been pretty popular is the employer retention tax credit. Um, right now, that's tied to the infrastructure bill. And so we're all watching to see if the infrastructure bill is going to get passed. And if it doesn't get passed, then the ERTC um, will stay in effect till the end of the year. So we're all watching that pretty carefully right now. Um, so far, so good. Uh, it looks like Congress is doing their usual thing and taking forever, uh, which is in this case good for us. I will say, congressionally, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of noise. You know, I think as Mary Kay said, it's not like we're going to have a standalone Jim's Act that's going to get its own vote. It'll be part of some other piece of legislation. So the good news is we're actually being asked to help craft legislation um, through the Senate Small Business Committee. So that's actually going on now. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised the degree to which they relied on a trade association to help craft the language that was beneficial to it. But then again, like I think it was also good to be included. What we don't know is where we're going to fit. There are three bills that are kind of out there in Congress. There's the infrastructure bill. 
which which we heard about that's more of a you know as it as it states uh, there's also the reconciliation bill which is the the list of biden's priorities a three and a half trillion dollar bill and there's something called the continuing resolution which will allow the government to continue to function uh, which also includes a raise of the debt ceiling so those three are all bounding around congress right now and nobody knows what the hell is going on you know for us we're trying to read the tea leaves and figure out how to attach ourselves to something bigger with the jims act and that might be involving restaurants. It might be involved hurricane uh, relief, you know, which tends to be pretty popular. So I think we're trying to figure out where exactly we plug in and do a larger bill. And our goal is hopefully over time that um, we get some clarity on what that looks like. You know, even even the, the, the members of Congress who have been there for quite some time are reflecting on how crazy this current period is and how much they're trying to get done in a very short amount of time, which is leading to a lot of confusion a lot of politicking, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And we're really, um, we're just trying to make sure that we stay involved. You know, so we continue to put pressure on, we continue to advocate, we continue to contact key Senate uh, and, and, and representative offices. And so that when a bill does come out that is gonna be voted upon, that we have a place there that we're included as opposed to being left outside. Yeah, makes sense. Well, we've got about 15 minutes and we've covered a lot of ground, talked about a lot of important things. What else would you guys really like to convey to the industry about the importance of this topic and anything else that you can share? Mary Kay, let's start with you. Um, I think just as a general um, summary, uh, you know, Chris said it earlier, is that, you know, these <laughs> politicians work for constituents. And I think we forget that a lot, especially at the state and local level, right? You get up to the to the federal level and you start to think about the lobbyists and it gets a it, it gets a little muddier. But your state and local, especially your House of Representatives people, I, it, it's it's they want to hear from you, right? It's their job to talk to you is the bottom line. So if there's one thing that I would have everybody do is figure out who you're, <laughs> who is, whose district you're in and set a meeting or invite them to the club. Like, I think that's a great first step. If all of this other stuff seems crazy and overwhelming, like figure out whose district you're in and invite them into the club or set a meeting. Yeah. About, what about you? Um, yeah. What would you really like to share? Yeah, I think that um, to Mary Kay's point, you know, find somebody, it might not even be you, but some, find somebody within your club who has that talent for outreach, who can be involved in your community relations, you know, um, strategy to, to talk to people and just get out there and let them know that you're there for them and that they need to be there for you. And, um, you know, it, it, it takes a real initiative. It's a, it's a full-time job. I and mean, we have a public relations person within our club. I'm sure everybody does a little piece of it if they don't have somebody who's full-time for that. Um, but it takes so much time to develop these relationships and they're priceless when it comes to your business. So you just need to get out of your comfort zone, get out of your space, get out of your club and get into your community. Yeah. Kevin, what about you? What else do you think is important to share that we haven't discussed yet? I think, if, I think there's been a lot of key areas that have been discussed. I, I think that uh, going back to what the power that we have in our community, and if you take a look at the number of right now, 
uh, most of the people in the House of Representatives in the next year are going to be up for re-election. Mm -hmm. So what do they need? They need votes. And how many, what do we know about people that belong to health clubs is they vote. So when you take a look at the Atlanta club, when we, Chris Smith is, is our representative, he knows that we've got 9,000 members. And he also knows we have 25,000 other people that aren't members that came onto our campus. And if you take, that's just one club. Now, if you take a look at the, all the other clubs that are in his district, he didn't have a hard time supporting. And he actually came and visited our club. And then we asked him to go visit some other clubs, which he did. Uh, but he really had it. He was the first one to come on board in the state. But he knows that our members, uh, because we actually did thank Chris Smith for supporting the, uh, the, uh, the Jim's Act of 2020 and 2021, because he did both of them. But he, our members know that he supported them. And so if that's the thing. So there aren't a lot of businesses that have the amount of voters that our industry has. And we're just not taking that power. And I think we're learning that we have a lot of power and it can be really limitless when we work together. And that's, that's really the, the key thing. So going back to the first thing that we said, it, it's a good business model. It, it really is a good business model. You know, when you get into advocacy, your community knows you better. Not only does the, the politicians, but I'll tell you that our mayor in our town in, in Red Bank is very well connected with the governor. The, the, uh, one of our state senators very connected with the governor. That's how we got in. But it was because they were local people that uh, you say, well, I need to know the governor. No, you need to know the state senator that knows the governor that you can, you can call up and they're gonna call you back. You know, because they, they make $24,000 a year. I mean, it's not like they're making millions of dollars, right? So, so at the end of the day, they want you to call, they want you to ask for things and they want you to recognize them because that's how they get reelected. And it's, I, 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 I can't tell you how hard it is for them to get votes, but how easy it is for them to have access to us. So we just need to, we need to do good things in a community when COVID's over, like have health fairs that invite non-members be a, be a force in the community for good and for, for healthy living and, and for being active. And, and, you know, I look at the state alliance and I say a year from now, I'd love to have a get active month, New Jersey, get active New Jersey sponsored by the New Jersey fitness coalition has nothing to do. We're not asking for any votes. We're not asking for anything else. We're just doing good in the community as a whole. And we haven't done that in the past because we've been splintered. Let's, let's continue to work together. Yeah. Do you think it's also too, Jim's really hon hon honing in on the message that it's gyms aren't just about physical fitness, but also health, wellness, and mental health? Well, the hardest part is that it's called the Gyms Act, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, you, you, when you, that, and that's, that was called the Gyms Act because that's what people would recognize it as. But we're not just gyms. And uh, most of the people on this call are health, fitness, and wellness. And we do more than just exercise. It, it's, there's, there's a whole picture that, that we, when, when you're a medical fitness club or you're a commercial club, you're an ACAC or you're a, uh, the great clubs that Fitness Formula has in Chelsea Pier, we're much more than just the equipment. And people, you know, people that come to us know that, but more people need to know that because we can change your lives and the more people that we change lives, the healthier New Jersey will be and the healthier the, the country will be. So we, we have to get that message across and we're not getting it. We, right now, it's not getting done. And that's when the, one of the things with the NHFA is 
part of that would be public relations. Part of the, you know, how do we get that message across that we possibly change and impact people's lives, and yeah. as a whole, you know. So, and not that your com- not that your competitor doesn't do it as well as you do. No, we all change people's lives, you know, result of that. Yeah, it's really bigger yeah. than all of us, right? It's bigger than all of us, and we can have an impact uh, together than uh, more than we could ever have separately. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that education piece. And I'll add one more thing because I think it's very simple. People start to think, well, if I get involved in politics and I get involved in my local, you know, mayor's office and all of the different um, officials, you know, what are they going to do? They're going to ask for donations to their campaign. They're going to ask for, it's in the grand scheme of things, it's a very small amount of money. You don't have to contribute big to have them say, hey, you're a contributor. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to have that conversation. I'm going to have that meeting with you. You know, a $500 contribution um, will go a long way. And when you think about what we spend, you know, in marketing dollars and every other thing that we do, it's it doesn't have to be a huge amount to have a big impact. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, anything um, else that you'd like to share that you think the, is important yeah, to convey? I, mean, I, think, I think we have to recognize, number one, that not enough clubs are involved. So we know that today, obviously, that if every club was involved in advocacy, I think we would probably be a lot further along. So if you know other club owners who, who are expressing an interest in this particular topic, definitely engage with them because I think getting more clubs to the table is really important. And as an extension of that, I think it's all about the entire industry. It's not just about the club owners. I think we often think of, you know, our trade association is being, a, a, with URSA being a, a health club association, but really it's an ecosystem of, of industry partners, um, of those who are going to be um, consultants to the industry. There are going to be people who are landlords to the industry. There's going to be, you know, people who sell fitness, they're tracking devices to our members who are, who are very much invested in whether or not uh, we succeed. So this just isn't about clubs and their members and coming back. This is a bigger ecosystem. And I think we've got to better do a better job of understanding our true power, not just in terms of our breadth, uh, and, you know, by, by, by virtue of locations in every congressional district, but in terms of how many lives and businesses we touch that are outside of the direct fitness industry, outside of the four walls of a health club. And so the sooner we realize that, the more power we're going to have because we're going to be aligned with a lot of very powerful, uh, powerful partners. Yeah. Great advice. All right. Well, we're about out of time. So I'm going to end with each of you asking each of you to just as you guys have gotten more involved in politics and advocacy, what's to share, what's been the biggest surprise or just something that you didn't know prior to the last year? Mary Kay, let's start with you. Honestly, that the ask is easier than you think it's going to be. Okay. I think that was the biggest surprise. I thought it was going to be way more difficult than it actually was. Yeah. People were more willing than you thought. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. No doubt. Yeah. That's encouraging. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Greta, what what about you? Yeah. I mean, I think I was surprised because I was a little intimidated going, oh, I don't know what, you know, what am I getting into? But we were all in the same boat. It was a little surprising that people, so many people didn't know their Congress people. So many people didn't know how, you know, or weren't doing it or didn't know how to do it. So it was really refreshing to be able to learn with everybody and to not feel like you can't ask the question or pick up the phone and say, Mary Kay, I don't know how to do this. Could you talk to, you know, Rebecca and help her out? Because we don't even, we can't even get the the clubs in our state um, to respond. And so I think that, you know, 
it was a surprise to see that we could even become more unified um, and that uh, we're out there. We have the biggest stage we've ever had um, and more people are now willing to help us. Uh, so that was, that was a surprise that we were, you know, we, we even became a closer, more unified uh, industry than we had before. And I thought we were always were, so. Yeah, definitely. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I think along those lines, I was surprised to 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 see how cooperative we could all be uh, when usually I think as club owners were fighting amongst each other for members and, and, and being competitive. I think it was alluded to earlier. The degree to which the industry was able to come together on a common cause was really refreshing. I think uh, uh, it was great to meet so many other club owners due to the crisis, uh, people who, who had I'd never crossed paths with before. Um, now we have more, uh, we have deeper connections to, and I think a shared experience that all of us, I think, uh, even when we go back to not having a common enemy, uh, we'll be able to, to have, to build relationships between one another and hopefully bring the industry closer together. Because if we're not united, if we don't have a united front, a united message, I think that's going to be a problem. And that's not just, um, traditional, you know, you know, health clubs, it's all the members of the fitness community. And it's, you know, it's interesting that we've seen a lot of growth in terms of the partnerships between, um, you know, say CrossFit and the Community Gyms Coalition and URSA, the more traditional health club provider association, that the two of them are working very closely together to advance legislation that, that benefits both groups. So I think this is really interesting stuff. I think it's brought us closer together. And I'm really enthusiastic that, that this will create for, you know, lasting bonds that, that through this, um, will 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 be beneficial going through into the future. Yeah, yeah, we got a lot of positive momentum. It sounds like. Absolutely. So. All right, Kevin, go ahead and take us home. And what was your? Uh, yeah, yeah, I would say that the one thing was we all know. You take a look at the uh, they see the club industry list of the top one hundred clubs, and you take a look at who's in your state, of New Jersey, and you you see a name, and you say, oh, I I know that person. I you know I. You know, I, I identify with them. I don't identify with them. But one of the things that really came out great with us is I got to know people as they really are, not what they look like on paper. And I really saw them deliver more than I ever expected. They exceeded my expectations and hopefully I exceeded theirs. But we were able to do it in New Jersey by just finding, we, we really, we put together an email list and we, we stayed together. We worked together. We, we supported each other. And we in my 29 years, it's never been like that. And I, I think that, that that's the that was the beauty of COVID is it got us to be much tighter and it also got to know people for who they are, not for what the perception was or that they don't work hard or that they that they don't want to be part of the industry and then they wind up being completely opposite of what the perception was. So I, I think it's we found out who a lot of people really are and it's been it's been very exciting. I'm, I'm yeah. Really yeah, awesome. Well, I love ending on that positive note. Um, and thanks again to each of you panelists for sharing your insights with the audience and audience. Thanks for tuning in and uh, everyone have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Thanks everybody. Thank you. Bye everyone. Yeah. All right. Bye, Bye guys.